Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm your tired of quarantiner and A People's Theology host, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Dustin Kensru. Dustin is a frontman for Thrice and the host of Carry the Fire podcast. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Thrice. Thrice is an alternative rock band from California. You can get connected with both Dustin and Thrice and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today, I have Dustin Kensru, and Dustin is the vocalist, guitarist, and uh, just all-around frontman for a wonderful band called Thrice, uh, who have been kicking it for a while now. Uh, and uh, so I, I know there's a lot more to you, Dustin, than, than just those things. Uh, but as I ask every guest, who is Dustin Kensru to Dustin Kensru? Oh, I forgot about this. Um... Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's like asking me, like, what's the nature of consciousness? Uh, <laughs> Just so you know, like the process thinkers that I've interviewed on this podcast typically answer this quite uniquely and quite well. So you've got a lot to live up to. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I came from a background of like... Um, I think that answer would have been really simple because it was like a simplistic way to view the universe and everything in it that everything was very, very abstracted. So rather than a complex interrelating of things, like I was just Dustin who was made that way. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? And now I would view it, um, much more complicated and complex and interconnected. And um, so maybe I'll just say what I've been learning about what I am in, in a yeah, sense like that. I, uh, huge part of my journey has been coming more to grips with um, like that. I'm not just a mind or a brain that I'm a body that is integrated. And um, I just, tend to lean into the headier side of things mm -hmm. and i've come to see that my overall health has benefited by leaning into having more holistic outlook and uh, about who and what i am um and i've learned some things about uh neurodiversity and come to believe that i'm um, on the autism spectrum slightly and mm -hmm. that's made a 
lot of sense of a lot of things about me that were very abstracted before and hard to understand and like just just that idea of really seeing and, and that's helped me i think relate to other people better especially like my wife just seeing some of the things that uh would have been like more of a an area of conflict for us before really just being like it, it, i i think a lot of the the theology that i grew up with was like oh they're doing that right now that's that's just bad that's mm. bad and i don't like that you're being bad and then being like maybe they're hungry maybe they're tired maybe mm. like you know what i'm saying like it's uh so me and my relationship to other people has become a lot more forgiving and understanding i think mm -hmm. um and yeah uh so i don't it's in it's in process Mason. you know that is a pretty process answer that you gave i yeah. will say you probably met the expectations of a lot of a lot of the other process thinkers that have answered that same question so <laughs> one of the things you you uh did not mention uh but i but i mentioned earlier is that you're part of a band called thrice uh, for those who are unfamiliar, and uh, shame on them for, for not knowing if they don't know already, but uh, for those who are unfamiliar, who is Thrice? We started out kind of mixing different genres of punk and metal, and I don't know, we were, we were kind of fusing like Iron Maiden and West Coast New School Punk <laughs> and uh, the dash of, kind of East Coast stuff thrown in there. and um. But then, you know, in the last 20 years, we've just been trying to continue to keep ourselves interested and excited about whatever we're doing, bringing in a lot of different influences. And uh, I think at the end of the day, you could still say it's a rock band, but um, it's very, very diverse kind of the output that we've had. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's not like a whole lot, like we don't, we're not a good band for the algorithmic um day that we're in with uh you know all the different music systems <laughs> like if you try to play like a thrice radio station it usually sucks and it's a bummer but <laughs> it's because like we've been at the fringes of different genres in which we really don't like a lot of the music in them um but there's these kind of peripheral or surface similarities that uh the algorithms pick up on so right um yeah i don't know we're we're a bit of a we've always been hard to categorize and uh it continues mm -hmm. but we i mean i guess we some of the defining things would be we can play some really heavy stuff but it's always with a sense of melody and groove and mm -hmm. um and do some really light and beautiful things and i tend to write about uh the big big picture questions of things and uh yeah mm -hmm. i love that one of the things that i i'm sure is probably be is probably distinctive for your journey in thrice is that you're constantly learning about yourself and allowing your especially your lyrics to express that learning uh and thrice has been around for almost 25 years now. Uh, you're probably a few years out from, from being a band in 25 years. Um, what have you learned about yourself in those almost 25 years of being in thrice? Um, 25 sounds good. It's not, I don't think we're quite at 
21 yet. So, or maybe we're, we we're a little, we're a few years we're at 21, out. 98? I can't do math. Oh, yeah, we're at, we're 21 years now and coming up on 22. That went fast even since the 20 marker. Um, uh, what have I learned about myself in that time? Mm hmm. About myself. I don't know. I've, I've changed my mind about a bunch of things a bunch of times. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, you can track, um, track like some of the things I believed about, uh, theology, about politics, about what, I, like whatever through different records. Um, and so that's interesting to have it function as a, as a record of my thinking over the, the those years and uh what's been interesting is kind of re approaching reappropriating songs that i would have taken in a certain way when i wrote them maybe even another way after that and now um <laughs> I, again in a new way and i think i've been able to kind of experience those songs in a way that a fan might have even though they didn't agree with me on a lot of the different things, they they still found something that was helpful and and beautiful. And so I've kind of gotten to go back to those in that same spirit. And a lot of them I end up liking mm -hmm. a lot better with the new perspective. So. Mm -hmm. You know, sort of in line with, with that changing and, and learning is that theologically, you've certainly have changed over the course of all those years. Can you talk a little bit more about how you sort of have specifically seen yourself change theologically over the duration of being in Thrice? Yeah. Um, so I grew up uh, just kind of non-denominational, uh, evangelical a uh, very kind of white bread Christian, um, yeah, very, I don't know, like very nondescript in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you have some youth group stories. Yeah, lots of youth group stuff. <laughs> um, so I, I grew up in all of that, and um, I realized kind of later on uh, that it had instilled in me a feeling of, God's approval or love for me very much fluctuating with what I felt I was if I was being good or bad or what you know whatever like if I was doing good then God was happy with me and loved me mm -hmm. and like it's it was, it was just there was zero stability in that sense of God's love and it I I think it's um creates a lot of there's internal problems around that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really didn't like what I understood to be Reformed theology at the time because it was kind of a caricature of what more advanced Reformed people would actually present their views as. <laughs> but I was seeing it as, you know, um, God as like an ultimate puppeteer of every little thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
but ended up becoming uh, reformed. I think the main thing that drew me in was that there was this idea of God's love being constant, um, mm. regardless of what I did. Uh, and so that was, um, and, and you could have found that, I think, in certain evangelical evangelical circles, but it was really like fed through a filter of meritocracy. And so that was really life-giving to me, that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a bunch of baggage that went with it, but I, I was so enamored by that bigger story there that I kind of was like, well, figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you, I mean, well, also theologically there's before that there was kind of big, uh, ex- existential crisis doubt period in my early twenties. And that's like around when, uh, our record artist in the ambulance i think mm. um and so you can hear some of that angst in songs like stare at the sun or um i'm wanting to figure things out but i was just like i don't i don't get it all i don't mm-hmm. see how this all works together um and a lot of that had to do with trying to figure out how an errancy works with what i see in the natural world through mm-hmm. you know, through science and um I had a very binary view of my options, so I didn't really know what to do. Uh, and I ended up opting to kind of come back in instead of taking on my only other option that I saw, which was like a reductive materialism. And I would have to give up any real sense of goodness, truth, and beauty, and I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know how to, how to do that. And so came back. It was good. It helped me kind of have a little less uh, intellectual hubris but um yeah so then reformed and got into whole uh, debacle as a worship pastor up in the northwest uh mars hill and <laughs> i won't ask you too many questions actually i won't ask you any questions about that <laughs> you can ask whatever you want um and then uh came out of that and basically came back to those initial questions about inerrancy from like 15 years before and finally felt like I had space to think about them Mm. and realized that there was no good argument uh, really justify (laughs) maintaining that belief and that was like huge 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 tipping point into really like an opening of how I could look at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where I've been the past, I don't know, five years. Mm -hmm. I I don't know exactly, but um, yeah. And then I've, I'm very, like if I had to put any kind of box around anything, like I'm very into process thought. Um, Doesn't mean I'm very educated in it, but I like it a lot. Uh, as a philosophy, like a framework, and then mm-hmm. I also dig um, kind of the theopoetics that can accompany it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, that's where I'm at. I love that. It, it's interesting that you you pointed out that 
inerrancy was like a really important piece for you to sort of get over. And then once you were, it kind of opened up uh, a lot for you. Um, I think for a lot of us who grew up in evangelicalism, that really is sort of the 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 linchpin that opens up everything once it's pulled. Uh, it it really yeah, is interesting how like inerrancy is really that crux for everything. Um, and once you're able to sort of kind of work around that or understand or or kind of uh, revealed a new different way of understanding one's relationship to the Bible and the, and the authority um, of the Bible and the way in which one relates to it. It's just, it really changes the dynamic for what you can do theologically and what you can explore theologically. Yeah. I, it is that linchpin because so much weight is put on it in those circles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it, it's that way because there is power and control mm-hmm. in in having one narrative like only one way to interpret this because you you basically take the text and you say the text is perfect and then you take the authority of the church and you say well our interpretation of this perfect text is law right mm-hmm. and so you have absolute control over what can be taken from the text mm-hmm. And what's what's weird about it coming out of it is like seeing how strange of a an arrangement it, it is in the first place that it's not the way that it has been looked at historically. Um, that all these things that you were taught, like this is how it all fits together, is it's just humans are really good at pattern recognition. And so if you want to make that, you want to see that pattern, you can see it. You can also see a bunch of other patterns that aren't that right. But when you see the pattern, everything else in the background fades away. So you get to kind of toss to the side, the bits that don't make sense right in that mm-hmm. pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, um, that was a gigantic shift by far the biggest shift of thinking in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think cause it was so embedded at such a young age yeah. that it was really hard to get, like, I can't see the edges of it. You know, I can't mm-hmm. even, it's the, the lenses is, is all encompassing. And so it's really hard to find the edges to, to pull back. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, uh, so, so I also grew up in the same world, uh, under or thought of inerrancy in the same way that you had grown up with. Um, and then it was in college that I encountered far different understandings of how to engage with the Bible, how to relate to it, how to think about its authority. And and so for like from a theological perspective, I sort of recaptured or reimagined a way to think about the Bible, to think about its authority. It really wasn't until seminary that I actually understood some of the political and and I mean, for lack of a better term, the evil corruption that inerrancy how it came about, like the the fact that it like that understanding that particular hermeneutic, that uh, the inerrancy is really a modern conception and specifically is located in the 1870s South, which mm-hmm. we just got done with 
with uh, the Civil War, uh, a a battle between whether or not another person can own another person, and and so like to understand that inerrancy comes out of a response that you no longer could legally own another person in this country. Like that changed the game for me of like, this is like something that actually is not just theologically wrong, but it actually manifested out of like evil, out of an atrocity. Mm. Like it was, it was trying to re-justify now that you couldn't legally justify slavery. Now you're going to try to theologically justify it through this concept of inerrancy. And so that is when I'm like, this is not just simply a theologically wrong concept. It's actually, there's an evil behind it. That's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that. Um, it reminds me though, of the roots of kind of the modern religious right um, mm, mm-hmm. gets talked about like, that it's something about abortion, but it, the original segregation is what was segregation uh, and, at Christian colleges trying to keep black students out um, and it wasn't getting enough traction. So they pivoted to uh, abortion to try to build a, a voting block. Right. Um, it's yeah, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. So one of the things I don't want to talk about thrice the whole time. Um, and so w- one of the things that you've recently started working on is a podca- podcast called Carry the Fire. Uh, and it's still in its infancy. But what have you so far learned from your guests in that podcast? Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure I don't know how many episodes in I am. Um, I'm kind of curious now. You're, um, like releasing like one a week, I would say maybe like twenty ish now. Uh, yeah, let's think about this. So it's it's got to be more than that. You think it's more? Is it closer to thirty? You think, or even more? Yeah, a couple of weeks off for Christmas, but we start in October. Um, so yeah, something. And um, yeah, I I definitely am still. I don't know. Still figuring out. I I have to um I'm trying to play with like how much do I actually like prepare for each uh <laughs> interview because I definitely can over prepare and tend to like try to uh, know too much instead of being curious about mm-hmm. what the person is bringing to the table. So I'm experimenting with kind of less prep lately um and just trying to be be curious and be engaged. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I'm doing it, I guess to answer the question back further, like I'm doing the podcast because I feel like it's so easy to just hear from like, for an example, example, I didn't even understand that there were like this whole group of, um, people who interpreted Christianity in a certain way that had their own robust 
relationships and i would always just heard you know like that there was us and then there was the liberals Mm. over there who don't actually believe in anything you know like it it and as much as you grow and mature like those seeds are still there and if you don't have access to anyone like how how would you know and so like twitter was really helpful and certain podcasts for me to start and books but like to see these people um who were awesome beautiful kind humans who disagreed about a lot of stuff but were like uh, uh had relationships with each other and um so just hearing those kind of stories i wanted to do something similar for people who might not have and not in a broader sense than just you know different parts of christianity um but have people from all different religions and backgrounds and professions just uh, talking about really at the end of the day what what their human experience is uh, mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. wonder and the good the true and the beautiful um i think i chose that because those were the when kind of everything fell away from the structure that I, I had built you know some kind of faith in i realized that the good, the true, and the beautiful were still there. They didn't need the framework that I thought was supporting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a visceral experience with those things. Like I, I can't, and the longer I've been without a framework, the more I see that it simply is a faith that there is purpose. Not, well, I wouldn't say purpose in kind of the big key um that there is there is meaning to things um however you want to frame that but i can't i can't get away from the magical quality of what it is to be alive uh, Mm. to be conscious and there's something happening there that's amazing Mm. um and it the more that I just kind of dwell on that, the more convinced I am in some sort of um, theology of a, I don't uh, like, I think I would have for a while been like, maybe I think there's probably, maybe there's a God because this, this, there's cool stuff. And, but I, I feel like it's, becoming a deeper subtler sense in me where something is happening and maybe it's just everything all between us maybe there's a it's a you know a panentheistic thing or uh, i've been hearing more about transpantheism uh, i don't know maybe it's something like that but it's it is cool and it is there's something there and i don't know exactly what to call that on, on any given day but I, I definitely don't think that it's without. I don't know. There's such a bleak way to look at it, and I can't see it that way.
So you're starting to allude to a little bit of process thought. So let's talk a little bit more about process theology. Uh, one of the things you rarely hear from uh, frontmen of pretty successful bands is process thought. <laughs> so how did you first get into process theology and why, and you're, again, you're sort of alluding to this, but why does it interest you in particular? Um, is that, was that the, is that the culprit of the, the poop in your bathroom? No, that was a different one. And then there was someone in a bright green wig. I don't know who it was even. There was a mustache painted on their face. Uh, I don't know what's happening. Um, how do I get into process? I, <laughs> I had a book that I'd bought years earlier that I had never gotten around to reading. Was, was it during deep... your reformed years where you were like, all right, process thought's going to go down from Dustin Kensrue? No, I had, never, I had never heard of it at okay. that point. Um, and I didn't realize that this book was um, uh, basically a bunch, bunch of process theologians uh, talking together. Um, but I bought it. It was called Deep Religious Pluralism. David, edited by David Ray Griffin, and mm-hmm. um, and so after I'd kind of deconstructed a lot of stuff and had this book, I was like, Let's check this out, and was reading about it, and they weren't using the language. I think of saying process theology, they were saying, uh, "Oh, what was Griffin saying?" He's talking about um, things not being supernatural, but basically was trying to make this argument that if God is always at work in the universe in a luring type sense, then God is always acting, but never supernaturally, never against the nature of yeah. what is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was really dense and weird to figure out like, cause he was, he was talking about it like in a way that you probably should have had a primer before, you know, reading <laughs> totally. this book. And so I was like, what is he saying? Um, so it kind of slowly pieced it together as, re- as I was reading these um, essays. And like, this is cool. Why is, I've never heard of this. Why has no one talked about this? Um, and I was at a backyard kind of get together. It was actually my uh, producer now for the pod, but um, I had known him for is that, a while. Is this, is this Andy, Andy, by the way? Yeah. Shout out to Andy. Great guy. Andy. Um, and so I'd known him through a couple different things a band he was in before and um another pot he was working on but we were talking and i was like yeah i've been hearing about this thing process theology but no one knows what i'm talking about he's like oh man you should um listen to homebrewed christianity tripolar and i was like someone talks about this (laughs) so i basically went and you know found every episode with someone processy on it that was you know talking and started piecing it together and got a few um kind of primer style books um what's his name mesley mesley's got a great great, one great books uh the both the philosophy and the theology one um but i think what's intro to i know i haven't read that one uh i'm sure it's great but i what i like about it especially the philosophy is that it takes seriously uh, the things that we are learning about the world through science um, Mm -hmm. and that we experience about the world 
as a human. Um, so it puts human experience, like the your experience in the world, uh, is taken very seriously because that's kind of at the end of the day what you have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is mediated, but that is direct. And so something like, hey, it seems like we have some kind of free will and nothing makes sense if you don't suppose that we have some will right mm-hmm. uh you can't live consistently without and and be denying that right you can you can deny it intellectually but your life will not reflect it right right um and that's not a great way to live i don't think um and rather just saying than just saying like well we think we do but we don't um this deep intuition in us i think can be honored and try to think of a new way of how things could be. And I think the world, I think what you have happening is, you know, in the past, we come up with kind of gods and pantheons and ways to try to make sense of what's happening in the natural world. And then we've kind of learned more about science, about the relationship between things. Mm-hmm. And we don't need some of those explanations anymore. And we have this impetus to push away from that, which makes sense. Um, but I think what happens too is we end up pushing further than is warranted sometimes. And so uh, I think we kind of ignore some of the weirdness of the universe or some of the weirdness of what we'd start seeing in quantum physics or uh, even anecdotally some of the weird stories that exist (laughs) and have existed through time of i don't know people's uh you know weird mental connections or whatever and i'm not there's so much crackpot stuff out there but there there's enough weird things that happen that don't have any other explanation than that somehow we're all connected in ways that we still don't understand Mm -hmm. um i don't know so i like the process leaves room for exploring those things and isn't shying away from uh, the evidence, that, like the the world as it is. Like it's it's trying to to see it and not um, abstract it. I think in certain ways. I don't know how much uh, writing you've done for Thrice um, since you've encountered process, but do you see process embedded in any of the lyrical writing that you're doing uh, for Thrice? Yeah, I mean the last the last record is, um, I think the only one that I've written where I've been exposed to uh, a lot of this thought. Uh, the record previously is definitely like on a trajectory with this one um i hadn't got there yet but i was really getting comfortable with um with doubt and um i had read what's the name uh uh how not to be secular um 
What is the guy's name? I don't know if I know. It's this a, book. it's a, uh, you know the book that it's summarizing. Um, James Taylor's, uh, the Secular Age. I oh think. yeah, yeah. Or Charles Taylor. Charles Taylor. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Not James Taylor. <laughs> um, Charles Taylor, the Secular Age. Uh, guy that I can't think of his name right now because I'm trying. Uh, wrote a book called How Not to Be Secular, which is kind of a summary of secular age and uh, from a more less of a Catholic um, background and more of a reformed um, background, but it was it's well done and it really kind of captures the idea uh, that we all live in a state of of doubt and belief all the time like mm. those those lines have been been blurred uh, within us and yeah, so I'd really kind of taken that to heart and come to peace with a lot of that. And um, so that record before was reckoning with that, letting go of the need for certainty, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of fell into a bunch of other stuff um, past that and wrote uh, the Palms record. And that very, very much is about interconnectivity and relationality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the, the backbone of what is on that record. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. You might be hesitant to kind of stake claim on, on any one of these terms, uh, but how do you see your work being inspiring or liberating, or how do you see liberation and inspiration being involved or engaged with your work? Um, I mean, I think that's something that has been in process over time with it, but I it I think there's an element of like there's almost a the seeds of liberation theology in my youth with the flashing of uh what I saw about Jesus in scriptures and mm. what I experienced and learned about life through punk rock. Mm. Um, and so while punk rock is not, uh, would not you know think of itself as a theology, uh, there are ways of looking at the world that, I mean, punk rock is also a, you know, a fashion and a brand and a whatever, but there is roots of something that is revolutionary in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or at least I think there should be. And so I ended up learning a lot through punk rock that I wouldn't have really come into contact with until later. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot about the way our government uh, behaves in foreign policy kind of things. Um, I learned a lot about acceptance and uh, equality that I wouldn't have heard anywhere else. And so I had kind of warring uh, ideas from that and kind of the, the super conservative place, uh, you know, that my church would have been at. And I think Jesus was interesting in that mix because I started, punk rock just started revealing the anti-imperial and revolutionary uh impetus in the scriptures mm-hmm. um 
I don't know. I probably couldn't have put any of this together at the time, but it was changing me, you know, mm-hmm. um, and affected, you know, the trajectory of where I would end up being. So you can look back through all the threat stuff and see me wrestling with those ideas and um, trying to talk about you know, things we were covering up and injustices and um, a lot of the old stuff, I'm approaching that from a, a more classically conservative um, headspace, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change the reality of a lot of those issues. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know what the question was now. I went off on how, how, how do you see your work sort of being liberating <laughs> okay. or inspiring yeah. and that kind of thing? So I, I think a lot of that's been there. I think the last record is by far um, the most focused on having a spirit of liberation, I think. Um, and, and, you know, to the point where I, I'm definitely canceled by a lot of folks for being perceived as a social justice warrior and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, we had a we had a song where we had I think almost a thousand people were able to send their voices in and we compiled them into a big choir, this song mm-hmm. called The Dark. Um, but it's very much a song of um, speaking of a, a place of empowerment and belonging for those who have been in the margins. And um, so, yeah, uh, I'm, that's very important. Mm-hmm. to me to write from that kind of place uh i don't know i'm always writing from where i'm at so mm-hmm. um the more that i've become invested in those ways of thinking the more that it's going to come out in the, the music totally last question how can listeners get connected to you and your work uh you can check out uh thrice stuff at Thrice.net. Uh, We're on all of the Sherry uh, streamy things. Um, yeah, if you're into more of uh, process and liberation type theology, you might dig the last record, Palms. Um, or the one before it is also, I think, good. Uh, it's called To Be Everywhere Is To Be Nowhere. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I have some solo stuff. Uh, I have podcast, Carry the Fire. Um, and yeah, that's what's going on right now. Perfect. CarryTheFirePod.com. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dustin, I, I've I've been listening to Thrice for many years now and have, have always loved your work. Um, and so for us to sort of develop kind of like an online friendship, talking about process and talking about big ideas and... It, it's really been really meaningful to me. So to be able to have you on my podcast is, is really uh, sort of a, a defining moment for me. So thank you so much for sharing uh, yourself and your work uh, and all the wonderful things that you have uh, going on in the world. Oh man, thanks for having me on. If you would like to connect with both Dustin and Thrice and their work, 
You can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meniga. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. <laughs>